reason for the call today, John, is... Welcome to Internal Use Only. Something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. You got a minute? A podcast for wholesalers. Always be closing. Always be closing. By wholesalers. Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. Okay, before we get started, I have one question. Has anyone here passed a Series 7 exam? I have a Series 7 license. Good for you. You can get up. Let's cut to the chase. Here's your host. Today's guest is an industry veteran of almost 20 years who throughout that time has sold all types of products to every single channel. I'm so fortunate that our paths were able to cross at our last job. He truly is one of the best leaders and salespeople that I've been able to meet in this career path. Our discussion takes many turns. Some of the best and most insightful ones for me happen to deal with mentorship, specifically a story about how challenging the process and standing your ground during a meeting can go a long way for helping someone understand your product. We also get pretty philosophical. What types of firms are going to succeed in the next 10 years? And what could and should the future of compensation look like for wholesalers? Finally, we banter about good times on the road, and a great story is told about his very first trip off the desk with his external. And real quick before we get started, go to Instagram, follow Internal Use Only Podcast, and share this with anyone who you think might enjoy the content. It'd go a long way for us to build this up. For now, let's send it to today's interview. Let's start with your background as a financial wholesaler. How long have you been in the industry? And in that time, what are some of the products you've covered and the type of clients you've worked with? Yeah, uh, so uh, I'm going to alarm myself with the with the amount of time in the industry already, right? I mean, I started, I got my first job on the internal desk at Putnam uh, 2001. Class of 01. So, class of 01, you know, so 20 years now, holy crap. 20 years, um, been with this now, 17, 16 years. Um, so I have... Uh, yeah, long runway, and I've co- I've covered everyone, and I've almost represented everything, right? So, um, mainly all, mostly all active strategies, and pretty much all wrapper type, you know, mutual fund, separate account, some ETF, um, client type from, you know, traditional wirehouse to independent to RIA, um, to institutional client to consultant, pretty much every every type of buyer uh, I've, I've covered or been responsible for, for covering uh, throughout that, that 20, 20 years. So seen, seen, a, seen a lot of different styles, a lot of audiences and um, you know, a lot of cycles. Do you have any preferred or when you look back on that length of your career, are there any channels or 
specific firms that you did work with that you found to be either more enjoyable or more challenging, or is it kind of just all wrapped into one at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's kind of all wrapped into one, but then when I look back at it, you know, it's it's also kind of like stages of my life, right? I mean, it was it was pretty fun covering, um, you know, wirehouse firms in uh, in my twenties. You know, it's it's a, a more social engagement, right? I mean, as dinners, there's taking people out, there's there's a much more el- a much higher element of kind of whining and dining in in that, uh, in that channel than there is in others. So when you're young and you're traveling and you get to take people out to, to dinners or for drinks or, you know, meet the young people coming up, you know, that's fun. And you, you, you learn a lot about, uh, about managing a budget. You learn a lot about being in front of di- different people. And, um, it, it's, it's a good time. As I got a little older, I, I wanted to do less of that. Uh, and be a little bit more selective on who you went out with or what you did or going home to see your fa- your family. Um, that becomes a priority. So there is some kind of like cycle to that. Um, but they all have their positives and they all have their negatives for sure. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I, I was thinking about that too, because I just started, the last group that I was at was we were working on like the institutional side. And there wasn't as much uh, entertaining, at least at least to like take someone out to dinner. I mean, you would organize dinners, but now I'm just I'm back on the wirehouse side, and it's more of a it's definitely more of like a tit for tat kind of thing where it's like, okay, well, if you do this for me, I, you know, you might have a an opportunity yeah. here, and yeah. whether you love it or hate it, that's obviously just part of the dynamic. So when when you were covering the wires, I guess you know, like walking it back because you've had now sixteen, you've had sixteen years at one firm. Which yeah. I don't know if that's an Iron Man streak or not, but that's impressive. So you've so you've survived. Yeah. Yeah. Over the course of your time, how has how has the dynamic of you as a salesperson, how has that evolved and changed over that course of time from how you approach your day, what is common for the sales process? Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, I mean it's amazing how you know I I feel like I've evolved and this may be pretty common. I don't know if you've heard this from others, but I mean, again, if I go back to like the beginning when I started, you know, you're, I feel like there's this, this inherent need to, you know, make sure you are following protocol, so to speak. Right. Like I want to make sure that I am fitting in, I'm following kind of the traditional rules, you know, you know, what, what works where, how do I do this? How do I say what I, what I need to say? My, my pitches, my presentations, my appearance, all of that stuff. You kind of, you kind of want to fall in line or I wanted to fall in line. And, you know, the place I started and I got my desk training was really kind of like old school, polished, polished, kind of like wirehouse factory. So shoe shined, you know, uh, shirt ironed, all of the things that you kind of think about in just terms of presentation for your your daily appearance were really really important and i remember like kind of you kind of suppress yourself and you kind of put forward this kind of this wholesaler person you know this like financial professional wholesaler you know individual got that red tie on yeah blue shirt red tie you know it's like uh, okay you know and I, i never really felt like that was me so I felt like my progression was just, you kind of come into your own, your own skin, you know, your own, 
what is it that you like about the markets? What is it that you like about your products? What is it that you like about, you know, being in distribution and wholesaling? And that starts to come out more and more. I, I found myself getting better at my job the more I was just able to be myself, right? And I think, you know, I don't know whether that's a good lesson for everyone, but, you know, also as I started to to be in front of more, more and more sophisticated buyers, I, I started to realize like, you know, and I'm sure you're going to talk to a number of different types of, of kind of finance professionals here, Dan. And like, you'll come across people that are CFAs, you know, they are really kind of financial oriented. They're, you know, they are, you know, CIO types in a distribution body, right? I, I started to realize that, you know, me sitting in front of a CIO, there's not much I'm going to teach them about the markets. Um, but I knew that I knew my products better than, you know, anyone sitting on the other side of the of the desk. So leaning into what I felt like was my strength and making sure that the person on the other side of the desk or the phone or the video knew that, um, you know, I was going to be honest with them. I was going to say what I, what I felt comfortable in saying and, and confident in, and I was not going to, you know, shovel a, a load of, of crap on their desk because that's just not, that's just not who I am as a person and in the way I kind of represent our strategies. And people start to, I, I think, see that and they say, all right, you know, maybe this guy isn't going to come in here and tell me, you know, you know, nail every prediction of the market or tell me about, you know, the dynamics at play here or there, but he's going to be honest with me. He's going to tell me, you know, what he thinks are his best ideas, why he thinks are his best ideas, you know, what's going on inside the strategies that he represents. And, you know, hopefully that's, that's valuable enough and it's proven to be what I've, what I've relied on. Certainly. Yeah. Being comfortable in your own skin, knowing how to, I, I, I had someone who once told me they, they were just like, you know, allow, allow your personality to come out in the sales pitch, don't let your sales, don't let the, don't let the personality of the sales pitch get dominated by the product. It was, it was something along those lines where people can kind of see through that, not necessarily see through that, but you can be more authentic uh, once you sort of get into your own rhythm and your, your own cadence. So I, I, I'm, I guess I would love to hear between what you, what you were, I guess, classically trained on, right? If you came up through this kind of like boiler, boiler room, do this, you know, this is how you sell. Yeah. How do you how do you now approach understanding your product, putting it into a pitch? Are there similar characteristics, um, and how do you go about preparing for that now that you're more seasoned and experienced as a wholesaler? Great question. I mean, it, it there's a lot of similarities, and it and it also you know, a lot of differences, but depending on who you're who you're talking to, right? I mean, I still think every good conversation when you're talking about you know a, a product is what's going on in the, in the market that makes this attractive now, right? So, you know, that boiler room kind of presentation uh, mode, like market dynamics, you know, here's what's going on in the market. Here's why you need to consider something like this. Here's the strategy, right? Here are the benefits to you. You know, those traditional funnels, we used to call them like three-point stories. And you still have to incorporate that into kind of the way you talk about your strategies, certainly in a, in a condensed fashion. So, but as you move across the various kind of buyers, and again, and I'm going to cover a lot of it because I've, I've, co I've covered everyone and some people just, 
you know, they're looking for a small cap value strategy because they have a manager closed or they had a, you know, a, um, a performance issue with a fund. So they need to, they're just looking to get a replacement on there. So it's, it's less about why do I need to be looking at small cap value today? Right. And why are you better than anyone else? It's, it's no, we have a need here on our investment platform. Um, these are the things that we like to look for in managers. So let help me understand who you guys are, right? So you're facilitating some of that. And then for some people, you're, you know, you're telling them, you know, why they, why ESG is something that they should be considering, right? So you're, you're fully selling them or trying to sell them on, on an idea or a strategy. So you're, you're more incorporating a lot of those dynamics that you might not be when you're trying to, you know, fill a need for someone. So it, it, it really depends on, on, on each conversation, but I think there's, there's, there's similarities between every conversation you're still trying to make sure someone is comfortable with the product knows why they should own it and knows the the risks and the benefits and it's you know any way you can do that i always found that you know the the people that were were really good that i always you know were kind of blown away with in conversations were the people that could that could identify you know the 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 points of the story that we're just going to resonate with someone really quickly, right? Whether that be a macro, you know, uh, consideration or whether it be a strategy level consideration, uh, and are able to do it really easily, and 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 not only that, but also push back at the right places, right? Um, uh, so I don't know. There there are a lot of dynamics at play, but I think you got to you got to think about a lot of product conversations from from similar angles. Can you think about any experiences where you either were a part of that pushback or that you just had seen it play out and it was something that you really admired? I think that's a so it's a great I guess in this channel that I'm operating in now, I feel like that's something that I can like lean into where it's like I can challenge someone, but maybe it's different for if you're covering an analyst or if you're covering someone else who might have maybe a different viewpoint on something. So I'm curious if you we'd love to hear a story on that if you've got any of those. Uh, I'll tell you. A, I'll tell you a good story, and um, it's unique. It's 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 an institutional discussion story that I was uh, I was with. Uh, I was traveling with a with a guy who was a mentor of mine. Has kind of been a mentor of mine, someone I really admired, and, and his ability to kind of um, you know understand products and understand uh, the certain dynamics at play in an in institutional conversation right whether it be an investment committee a board you know the the participants that are that that are there that all have a kind of a voice and we were in we were at a uh, a, a not to be named uh, public plan and we were talking to the investment committee and a couple of board members and we were talking about an alternative type strategy and you know with with various with any of these kind of strategies, whether it be a simple long only, you know, equity fund, or whether it be a, you know, a fixed income vehicle or a, a derivative based portfolio, there's levels of education. But I remember being in the audience sitting next to sitting next to this guy, and they were talking about, you know, this, these kind of strategies. And it was all options based, right. And there were various levels of, of understanding of options. And, 
it, it came pretty clear that there were a couple of people on the board that were viewing trying to classify something like uh, something like an options-based strategy um as just an an equity uh portfolio or uh, you know an s p and i i watched you know this guy my uh, my mentor get up and pretty clearly and confidently object with the board members and tell them you know you know why they needed to be thinking differently and how it you know can be viewed to be impactful and to be beneficial to the portfolio and, and the way to look at things through a different lens and i remember thinking that i don't know if i would have had the courage to stand up and and say that um but he did it in a in a in a way that i thought was just really really well done respectful and smart and speaking from experience and uh it was pushback it was coming from a place of in intelligence and um in in an audience that i at the time for me you know a young institutional wholesaler just didn't feel comfortable ever doing something like that. So I think, you know, my takeaways from it were being like, all right, if you know your stuff and you have a good, you know, knowledge base and you see something that you might not disagree, that you might not agree with, or that you have the ability to, to add some value or give a different, you know, viewpoint, kind of say it like man up and say it. Yeah. Like, let it rip. Right. There's like no, no holding back. You're in that, you're in that boardroom. Right. So yeah. one of two things is going to happen. They'll remember you yeah. or they won't. So what's the best way of going about doing that? That's a great, yeah. That's, and I, so remember, for, I just remember um, sitting there watching him get up and going, oh man. And uh, just, it, it, yeah, I learned a lot from just that one, that one moment. Uh, how, so if you don't mind sharing how overall, how big was that plan? And did you eventually get a mandate out of, as a result of that meeting? Hmm. Uh no, we did not get a mandate. Um, the plan, uh, very large, you know, uh, $20 billion or so plan. Um, and in the room was, like I said, investment committee members, um, uh, board members, and and their consultant. So you have like multiple people in play. And uh, no, we didn't have the consultant on our side and the consultant didn't really like option strategies. So they were always going to be a you know, a hindrance. And it was in, it was more for educational purposes. It wasn't necessarily a, you know, a finals presentation or anything like that, but um, no, we have yet to win that mandate. It's a long, it's a, yes. it, it truly is a long haul. <laughs> yeah. You, you know how, you know how long these sales cycles can be. So, you know, I think we'll get, we'll, we'll get them some at some point. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, and um, I, you know, the audience will have probably a very wide, like variety of backgrounds. So, you know, might be some that have only done wires or independents, maybe some bigger RAs, but from a few of the guests that we'll have through season one, including this one, the elements of the institutional sale are certainly being highlighted. There, there's so many more, I mean, I guess the standard like buzzword would be there's so many more touch points, but the interaction, the opportunity to interact takes sometimes years. You know, if you're vying for three billion of a twenty billion portfolio, um, you know you make you make an effort to do that. And one of those tactics is that ed investor education or board meeting. So, yeah, you got you got to find any way to 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 be relevant and to provide value. And sometimes it's you know it doesn't it 
you know, it doesn't end in a potential mandate or even a potential search inclusion, but it gives you, you know, credibility, revel, uh, relevance, and, you know, hopefully the ability to continue to be in front of people, you know, moving forward. And it, it's totally different than, again, walking into a, you know, a Merrill Lynch office and, and, and selling, you know, your large cap growth strategy that's on a focus list, right? Um, you know, you can walk in front of someone who can drop you a ticket and you can then, you know, walk across the street to the public plan and, and start, you know, turning the soil for, you know, a harvest that might not be until three years down the road. Right. Yeah. That's uh it takes a different mindset there. That's for sure. Totally. But totally. The, you know, what's good though, too, is even, even though it's lessons learned though, and I guess in the wire channel, it's probably not as much on the RAA side. The, some of the, some of the bigger teams will have, small foundations or endowments or, or nonprofits that are clients. And even though their board meetings are way, way lower of a scale, that's been a, a tactic that I've been able to use just to offer someone, Hey, if you need to, if you need to fill time on your next quarterly board meeting, I'm happy to share this resource or this research piece just to, just to like give them some help. It's a good way for me to get ahead of them. And just to, to like, even if it doesn't result in a transaction the next day, it's like goodwill put towards hopefully something that you could sit down and uh, then discuss product. But yeah, those nonprofit boards and foundations are a pretty good opportunity there. And that's a learn directly from doing the institutional <laughs> side of the business. <laughs> you know, it's it, 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 that you bring up a good point. I did a call the other day, uh, you know, a, a zoom video call with one of our portfolio managers to one of my RIA clients and shame on me. I didn't realize that, you know, you know the gentleman who was participating from from my client was also uh, an investment committee meeting for one of the local um, uh, institutional institutional accounts, right? And after the fact, I was able to tie it together that you know this guy is an investment committee member here. They have the same strategy in both portfolios. And I was just able to add a lot of value to him in his in his clients and his RIA, but also to his conversations at you know the investment committee for the institutional uh, account. So I think you're right. You know, there's a there, there's and this is a whole other conversation that you know you know far too well uh, as well, Dan. Is that like uh, that can cause all kinds of problems from a coverage perspective? You know, absolutely. It's like, Hey, well, this guy sits on this committee. I need to call on him. And this guy is, you know, runs these and I've known this firm. And I don't know if that's, that's probably something that will come up with, with plenty of your guests and you can dedicate it plenty of, plenty of, uh, of, of hours of content to just, you know, territorial disputes. Oh, let's go. I mean, let's go into that. I love it. I, <laughs> I had, uh, one, one of our other guests, he had, it wasn't, it wasn't the same thing, but it was, it was a similar topic in the sense that, it's just the shit you deal with as a wholesaler, particularly at a larger firm. So for him, it was um, it was data tracking and like flows tracking for specific to ETFs. But when he was telling that story, I I was thinking in my mind of like the turf battles that exist <laughs> or the the calling card. So can you can you highlight any maybe any notable stories in that regard, or just is it more the grind that it's just the stuff you deal with all the time? Uh, I mean, the scars are, the scars are, are still so fresh and a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, think about it. Um, you know, there are a lot of, there's just, 
there's just so much crossover in a lot of the industry. And I used to think that it was just, you know, specific to certain segments of the market, but it's not. I mean, you go, you walk into a Merrill office and there's a guy sitting in the corner that's, you know, running the, uh, the local corporate pension plan. Right. Um, and you have a, a, an institutional sales colleague who's calling on that corporate pension plan, but you're in there selling him mutual funds for his regular client to regular clients to his retail clients. And he's going to obviously going to take some of those ideas and, and, and use them in his, um, his entire practice. So I'm trying to think of a good one to, uh, to highlight here. Um, if but not I, though, but maybe, I, a, maybe a, a secondary question to that is, do you think there's a, a way to solve that? Do you, do you, do you believe, I guess, in completely separate channels um, as far as having the right cadence with each of your clients? Or do you think it's you know, just one of those things that firms will always have separate people calling on different clients and that's maybe good or bad, but it is what it is? Uh, I'm going to open up another Pandora's box and, you know, some of the people that, um, you know, come here may not, may not totally like what I have to say, but I, I think you're always going to have to have some, some form of segmentation in, in your calling charters, right? I just think it's, it's depending on the firm, depending on your product set, depending on your platform availability, but generally speaking, I think segmentation is important, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, what motivates you know, you know, a salesperson, right? It's, it's compensation. It's, it's, it's really driven by, if you feel, you know, your best avenues to make, you know, sales and therefore make commissions and therefore put money in your pocket. I think the game is changing so much and today even more so given the fact that there's so much consolidation happening there's M&A activity there is a lot of overlap between you know what firms do and who they're calling on from private clients to foundations i i think the I think the way to solve it or the way to think about solving it is to think about you know being less commission driven in sales and more you know more kind of salary um participation and firm um f- firm growth firm benefit long term deferred comp whatever it might be just to 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 get better collaboration you know I, I, sometimes i just don't fight anymore right um and you know you just want to do what's best for the client what the what is the best avenue to raise money right and i think that if if you're if you're if your compensation is is reflected on your collaboration, your the growth of the firm and things like that, you're going to be more open to to making sure a sale happens as opposed to being protective of of relationship or a a particular account. It's hard sometimes, man. You know, especially when you've done a lot of work or you know, you feel like you've, you've done all the heavy lifting. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that that's changing pretty rapidly and, and some firms are stuck in, in, in the stone age and the way they think about it. And others are a much more open to, I think being more forward, forward thinking about, you know, compensation. Cause I think that it's the ultimate driver of activity. Yeah, definitely. What in, so in your view then, because I, I agree with it. I, I, I agree with the heavier on the salary portion. Um, what, what, would you, what would you say 
is an more ideal breakdown for total comp as far as what should be maybe discretionary or commission driven versus what you think a, a reasonable basis, I guess, relative to what, where, you, where it stands right now? Well, I, th- I think it's pretty varied, but you know, you'd like to see a, I think a, a, a pretty sizable salary, right? Base salary, you know, something that is, um, you know, substantial, but call it, call it half to maybe, you know, 60 and even some cases, depending, you know, upwards of upwards of 60% of total comp. And, um, then you have the option of, of, of upside. Right. And, you know, I like the idea of, of hanging your hat on not only your contribution, right. What you have delivered in terms of, you know, identifiable sales, but also, one of the things that I've, I've been dealing with, and I think a lot of us have just asset retention, right? Oh yeah. Asset asset retention is a huge part of our sales effort. And some people don't think about asset retention because they're only focused on gross sales. Um, and again, that's part of that is, is based on who you're calling on and, and, and how you're compensated. Um, but again, you know, what have you done to help your colleagues? What have you helped? What have you done to contribute to additional, sales or firm initiatives or um uh asset retention that's stuff that might not show up on your daily sales run um and then you know you want to be able to participate as the firm does well you also want to be able to to be compensated if the firm is you know going in a in the in the in a reverse direction so i don't know you don't know what the right mix is but i think a higher a higher base salary uh, a higher variable, uh, a, a variable comp that's based off of more factors than just, you know, your, your gross sales. I think everyone knows that, you know, the more money you bring in, the better off you're going to be from a compensation standpoint. I just don't necessarily think it has to be, you know, dollar for dollar compens- uh, commission based. Yeah. And so at your, at, at your current firm is the is the incentive on how, how is it structured? Is it percent, is it a percentical? Is it basis points or is it, is it revenue? I know it's different at a, a bunch of different firms. So I guess if you don't want to answer the question, I guess, would you take then, I guess, would your expectation to be made whole or have the same overall like on target earnings, even if that was, even if that meant maybe you had it, maybe an outsized sale, but you had less of a percentage of that sale from the dollar standpoint. Let, let, rephrase that question let me make sure i understand it so part a the the variable sales portion of your compensation is that a percentical is that revenue basis points what does that look like so for me largely now it's 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 percentical you know i have a large goal um that's based off of um mutual funds mutual fund and separate account sales Got it. Okay. Um, there are there are there are other elements to it that are on the margin, but it's you know the tail that wags the dog is the uh, percent goal, and, and that's for me. That's for my group. There are I think there are other other groups that are paid you know either basis points or even percent of revenue, um, depending on on their on their calling charter. Got it. So uh, yeah. So I guess so in that case, then if you had a would would you be okay with the trade off of 
the higher base. And then even if you had a year where maybe you're 180% to goal, but they said, okay, the trade-off here, if you want the higher base salary, you're going to lose your upside potential for any large sales or mandates that you get. It's a great, it's a great question. You know, I know. Uh, I, I think about this. I, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of salespeople do. Like, I, I don't know. I, I yeah. think about it all the time. It's like, what's, what's better? I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, one of the things that I think is absolutely critical is just um, black or white. You know what I mean? Uh, Sometimes the vagueness of some of this stuff is 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 really hard, right? And yeah, new ma- like maybe a new a new policy every year or something like that. Like the in, the stress and anxiety that can introduce is of course. And listen, yeah, if, if you're if you're paid percent of revenue, and you know you you just start to do back back of the napkin math on this mandate or that mandate, right? You're the the dollar signs are going in your in your mind, whereas opposed to if if you're not, if you're not thinking that way, if you're not pricing out mandate to mandate, right? You're just thinking about, you know, I want to win this piece of business, right? Um, and I know if I win this piece of business, it's going to help me, right? Um, it's going to help towards my overall, you know, performance for a for a year, um, and. I, I don't know. I, I think that that is, I think that's, that's, that's healthy. I mean, as salespeople, we're inherently fucked up, right? It's like, we, we spend too much time thinking about this stuff, worrying about, you know, this, that, or the other thing, you know, being protective, being neurotic, being anxious or, uh, or, or, or whatever it might be. So oh, yeah. all the above is that <laughs> all, yeah, it, it, all, the above, all the above, right. All of the above. So, you know, it, it, I think it's helpful as, you know, it, helpful for salespeople just to see, like, to have comfort and confidence as to, you know, what, what the outcome is, uh, what the outcome is going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I have a good friend in the industry and we talk, we talk a lot. Um, and, and her firm, I think is pretty unique. You're kind of a little bit more forward thinking on the way they think about this stuff. And, you know, you kind of, you sit down and you advocate for yourself and your efforts and your comp and you can show what you've done. But I don't think that they fight on an, on a daily basis on relationships or mandates or things like that. Um, and it, it sounds pretty healthy to me, you know, maybe it's grass is grass is greener, but, um, but yeah, I, I think being pretty clear about whether what it's going to be and what it's not going to be. I mean, if you're paid, you know, percent of revenue on a big mandate, all you're going to be really focused on is hunting that big mandate, right? Right. Or and if that can be, or that, if it gets close be, to the finish line, then you kind of realize, like, oh man, I'm like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be made in a couple of months, and any, you know, anything around that might slack, right? And we know how sensitive totally. those mandates can be, right? You're, you're. If there was, you know, they have like those sales funnels, the graphics of like percentage, you know, just to get you from like prospect to sale. When those, when those bigger mandates happen, you go from, you can go from 25% to zero overnight or from, you know, 50, like honestly, well, it it, it is that binary because it's either a selection process or not. And that is all out of your control, which is kind of the reason why 
when I think about the base salary conversation, not like I'm a sales manager because there's millions of other incentives or strings being pulled that I am certainly not aware of. But there's there's so many things that are now less in the control of any given wholesaler. Doesn't matter what channel it's in. Maybe yours is even more sensitive because, like you said, you're dealing with the consultant, the board members, um, the investment committee. There, I mean, those are at least three people that, or sorry, three collections of people that can all impact your ability to get that mandate. Wirehouses are having more and more control from the home office, uh, influencing investment decisions. So it's kind of like you would hope that directionally it would make maybe, maybe, maybe I'm an idiot, but maybe it makes sense to have more of the comp guaranteed just because you know so many things are no longer direct hand to hand. And hopefully you can spend your time relationship management, um, but just not, not being stressed and anxious, like you said, about knowing exactly where that next dollar will come from. Yeah. I mean, and you can, you know, you, you win some of these big, big mandates and it's a big payday, you know, you might go on autopilot after that, you know? And, uh, I mean, I guess that's, that's natural, uh, to, to some extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can do, you can do a ton of work. You can do a ton of work to get yourself a plate appearance and to make it to a finals and to, you know, to go through the process, deliver a great presentation, have everything line up for you and it go against you. And if you only have, you know, one of those every now and then it's tough. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's, 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 it's really tough. And, you know, there are firms that are, you know, you know, much bigger players and this is kind of more of the natural flow of business for them. So they have, a whole lot more plate appearances. They have a whole lot more opportunities. They have a lot of wins, a lot of losses, you know, that becomes the course of business. Yeah. A little bit of a, a better batting average, if you will, yeah. probably. And yeah. the, those, those bigger players. Well, said. so, so the comp, the compensation is, is certainly one thing that I guess directionally is, is evolving. We can say that. What else do you think the in, what else do you think will be changing in the industry over the next five to 10 years? So where do you, where do you see wholesaling over that period of time? I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think, I don't necessarily agree with the fact that people think wholesaling is going to die. Right. I mean, I, I think that there is going to continue to need to be a real level of expertise around, you know, product set and product distribution. Um, you know, I think that we're going to continue to see consolidation, right? You're going to continue to see asset management consolidation, wealth management consolidation. Um, so you're going to have these kind of just like everything else in, in our world today, right? He, the haves and have nots. Um, yep. and any and reason for that in particular, so, or I guess like from what you've seen in the industry, what types of firms do you think will be positioned well, which other ones do you maybe see as more at risk? I think, I think the, the belly is at risk, right? I mean, big players, big scale platform availability, you know, uh, advantageous pricing, deep pockets for partnerships and things like that are going to continue to be, they're going to continue to thrive, right? Um, specialized managers on the small side, um, I think are going to be attractive. I think we're, we're seeing fewer of those right now, 
but the managers that you know or the 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 firms that may be somewhere in the middle um they might have to do something right maybe they join somewhere else or you know maybe they um find a, a unique a unique position but what i think will happen you know in the cycle of all this stuff is as this you know consolidation happens in, in all aspects of our business there's going to you know people will come in people you know firms and 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 smart folks will f- will fill some voids right they're going to the people are going to say well i maybe i want small independent you know newer firms and you'll see kind of that gravitation towards uh back towards something else so i think you're going to have kind of specialization small independent big scale pricing you know availability and 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 to the point of like the the role of a wholesaler you know um when you have products that need eyeballs on them someone's got to find a way to get eyeballs on them right and that's that's what we do right we find interesting ways to use our network to use our skills to use our the tools to to make sure people you know get ideas in front of them and then you know people like to do business with people that they know and that they like and i don't think that relationship element um will go away i mean we haven't spoken a lot about the relationship side of it right right now but i mean it's relationships are are critical they're really really important and i think you know one thing that i've learned this past 12 months this lengthy 12 months of you know being trapped in my house and almost a and, full year you know, almost a full it's it's absolutely crazy trying trying to get in front of people you don't know is is impossible right so the 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 power and the value of a relationship in a time like this where you need to you know people say hey can you give me 5 minutes of your time I got something I need to update you on or something I need to tell you or something like that. I mean, if you don't know the person, it's really, it's really hard these days to get that person to take your call or to read your email. Uh, so I think that that relationship is, is still really, really valuable. I want to hear some of your highlights or some of your best stories that come to mind when you think about uh, not necessarily the extracurriculars, um, but things that have played out because you were traveling or because you were on the road, maybe it's a best or worst sales call, but whatever you got, I think our audience would love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'll get, I, I've, I've got two interesting stories from a travel perspective, right? I mean, I have, I have, I have plenty of, of funny travel related events, but uh, one trip, um, oh, quickly, I'll, I'll, I'll lead off of the highlight. One trip I was in, uh, I was in the airport. And I was grabbing, um, I was grabbing something to eat, uh, just like a grab and go before I got on the plane. Regular and sandwich. I'm walking through the lot, talking like burgers. Yeah. Sandwich? No, like like a, like a wrap, uh, like a sandwich kind of deal, and, and a bottle of water. And I'm walking through the line, and it's just like one of those you know typical places you order, walk down, and pay, and there are tables kind of back there. And I look at over my shoulder, and I see there's only a couple people sitting on the tables, and <laughs> sitting at um, a, a table against the back was Flava Flav. And Flava Flav, okay. <laughs> Flava Flav. And I like, uh, and I'm like, this, that can't be Flava Flav, right? So I, 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 I pay for my food and I have to walk kind of by. And I, sure enough, clock around the neck, sitting right there, 
play yeah, with play. the clock around the neck? Clock around the neck. And I like I'm not one that is uh like goes up to celebrities or anything like that, but I walk right past like it's like Flame, I gotta say I'm a I'm a big fan. It's uh, it's it's nice to see you. And he stood up and he was the nicest guy I had like thanks for saying hi it's so nice to meet you you want to take a picture so took a couple of pictures i'll I'll send it to you after um but just like out of of nowhere blew my mind at how nice he was um so really like the first encounter that you got a celebrity to ask you to take a picture with them right that that almost seems like that's uh that's how that one played out (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's you know that's that's what my ego tells me um, but he was flying to Russia to go on tour with public enemy. Um, which I didn't know that that was still happening. So I, that was, that was one of my first like travel sightings. Another, uh, cool story about just like, you know, bumping into people and, and talking to people I and mean, you never know where you are. I was in LA and I was staying by the Staples center and I went across the street to the yard house to, you know, grab a burger and a beer right there and i sit down it's it's not too crowded it's kind of crowded I sit at the bar and there are a couple seats open you know on either side of me about you know 15 minutes after sitting down a guy walks in sits down next to me and he's like can i sit here i'm like yeah sure and we start you know i'm looking ahead he's looking at i'm not paying attention to who he is um and we start talking and all of a sudden I, I look over and I look at him and I, and I, I hear his voice. So I recognize his voice first. It's Ernie Johnson of, you know, uh, TBS, uh, you know, basketball, ba- baseball, you know, Shaq and, and Chuck and everyone. And I'm just like, Oh my God. And we had dinner together, just him and I sitting at the bar chatting the whole time, you know, and we talked about, you know, Red Sox. We talked to certain people. We talked about, you know, his, his growing up and, you know, baseball lineage and, and, you know, what does he like to do more NBA baseball just had an awesome conversation with a guy who I just think is tops at what he does. And one of the nicest guys. And yeah, you know, you, you wouldn't, those things don't happen unless you're like, sitting by yourself at a bar and you know i don't know what it's like for you at home but you know i always talk to people and they're always like i can't believe you go sit you know and eat dinner by yourself or or do all this that's where my best stories are from are you kidding me right yeah oh my god that's yeah that's it's 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 like maybe that's what we said before that we're all kind of messed up in some ways but that maybe that's one of the the pluses in the column of plus and minuses where we can do that it's like i have no issue being anywhere by myself, like I'll find a conversation or just like yeah. kill the time. And I, I, that I, happens, bars, airports, wherever. It's just like, well, what, what else can you do? I'll go to movies by myself. And I know people think that that's crazy too, but it's like, what, what do you do? I mean, you don't talk to people during the movie, you just go in there and see <laughs> something and you leave. Right. Yeah, that's right. Especially, especially now that, you know, married and kids. And I was like, I know my wife is like, I want to see this. This is a good time to go, to go to go see this. Uh, so things like that. Yeah, certainly I do. I used to, right. I guess. Yeah. Used to is the <laughs> operative word used to do that stuff all the time. Uh, but yeah, that's where you, you kind of, you kind of learn a little bit about yourself. Another funny thing, like an anecdote of all this stuff, uh, like yeah. and you'll 
you'll you'll you'll get there but like we spend so much time making small talk being polite you know you know carrying conversations and being with people like let's be real like some of the people that we're we're in front of or talk to on a daily basis we might not you know we we probably won't be friends with them we won't talk to them or, you know whatever it might be it's just like by the by the by the the course of your job you're you kind of have to do some of these things right when i started having kids and my wife started setting up um like play dates or parent dates and you'd have to go to the park and you know my wife would be like oh and take the kid to the park and so-and-so is going to be there with the dad. And I think you guys are going to really hit it off. It's like, I'd be like, the last thing I want to do today is go make small talk with someone at the park right now, or go to this, like I'd be at now it feels forced. At, yeah. I'd be now at, feels I'd be forced. at kids, kids birthday parties. I'd be like, I'd be sitting in the corner and be like, I just don't want to do Just don't want to do this anymore, man. I can't. go talk to Chris. He's in sales. He loves to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're great conversationalist. You can do this. You know how to, you know, you know how to talk to people. It's like, no, I don't want to. I've turned into an old curmudgeon. I just want to sit in the corner and, you know, I'm, I'm using all of my goodwill and, and, and smiles on, on people that I'm trying to, you know, get to know for the benefit of, of work. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to discredit the fact that I've met some incredible people and some of my clients have become really good friends. And, you know, that's, that's just, um, you just, you just get a little bit, you know, like you said, the armor builds up and you get a little weary. Right. I've always found it funny and I'm sure you've, you probably have had like a moment like this. Let's say, I don't know whether it's a, a conference or an event. It's like, you kind of have to put, you have to put yourself into that mindset of like, okay, I'm like, I need to speak to these 10 people over the course of like, let's call it a 90 minute cocktail hour. So you're kind of like, it's almost like you're entering battle before you go to a cocktail hour, which is which sounds deceiving love and it. terrible. But I love it. I but then love when it. you finish, you're just like, holy shit, like, oh my God, I am off. Like I can turn it off now. Or you're at like, you know, you go to back to your room and you're like, what did I just do for those last 90 minutes? And you look back at your notes or whatever. It's it's like it's a very strange dynamic that I don't, I don't other people just don't do that in their jobs. I'm sure all sales do, but like we tend to do it all the time. You're exactly right. And dude, as I got older. You know, and then those cocktail or networking sessions where, um, you know, it was not, you know, all fun and games. I'd be like in my room and I'd be pumping myself up. I'd be like, let's go get energized. You go do this. You're not going to, you're not, I'm not letting you leave this session until you've spoken to this person, that person, this person, (laughs) you know, and, uh, hit these kind of objectives and you're right. It's so weird to think about. It's like, like the mental psychology that's going on to, to get yourself primed for, for something like that. And uh, yeah, you can make like a documentary on it. It's like this uh, salesman dude, enters the networking event. Will he crazy. find his target? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and and you've, you've seen it like I have, like you've been at an event and you're sitting there with a beer in your hand and you've got the person you want to talk to, you know, in your crosshairs out of the yep. corner of your eye and you see three other people, you know, iron them, iron them as well. And you're like, who's going to get on first? Like, yeah. Oh my God. You see a window, you, you, you break in. It is a, it's such a, it's such a weird dynamic. And um, I'll never, I guess I'll never know what it's like to kind of be that like person in the crosshairs. Right. 
but I can imagine for that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like, does you know what? I the best person, whether they're aware of it or not, is the one who's part of your small group, the one that you're in before you try to get to the person you need to see, and then when you just abruptly and very curtly say, "Hey, I got to go," and then you just like ditch that conversation so that you can go scurry over to the person that you got to see. They're probably the 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 innocent bystander in all of it. They're the ones that yeah. we need to ask if they notice that or not. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good point. A good point. And you, you, you and I both know that there are some people that are just so good at at working a room or networking or getting in front of the right person or holding attention. It's um, it's impressive, man. The first wholesaler I ever worked worked with is this big, you know, boisterous, funny guy, and he was every room he went into, he was always kind of the life of the, the life of the room and uh, probably why he was so good at his job, but you know, every, everyone knew him. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you one, one funny story uh, that I probably should have shared when you, when you asked the travel story, my first ever, first ever travel uh, as a, as an internal um, I, I was working um, for my first firm and we were, they were big, uh, Edward Jones uh, firm at back when kind of the Edward Jones focus partners list was a thing. I don't know if you know this, but they used to hold these, what they called summer regional events. And okay. it was when all, all of the advisors from a certain region went to a location for a weekend and got together, had their families and there were, you know, breakout sessions and, best ideas, practicing and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, you sponsored these events and you got time to speak throughout the course of the weekend. And the rest of the time it was barbecues and pool and stuff like that. Another like weird thing about our industry, the industry that these things happen. Right. Um, oh yeah. We, uh, brief, brief anecdote. I'll let you get to it. We, we were saying that we'll eventually need to get like a round table of the best stories from the financial advisors and the firms like their gold club because those I I mean I can imagine, oh my god I can imagine there are some reckless and hilarious and entertaining stories from from that era, but continue on. Oh Ed, my god, Ed Jones, there's some regional. There's got to be so many, but anyway, this guy is, is so total character. Uh, we were out at 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 a at a bar uh, the night before the event started, and there was some guy um, at the bar wearing a a blue Kangol floppy hat, a fuzzy floppy hat. Oh, I don't know if you can okay. picture, oh, picture yeah, your yeah. mind. Like, More like the bucket hat one, not the not the flat brim. Yeah, not, not like the Ben Hogan cap, but the bucket hat. And it yeah, was yeah, yeah. light, light blue, Carolina blue, uh, fuzzy. And this guy went up to the guy and he's like, your hat, you know, I, I, I got to have it. Uh, how much is it going to cost? <laughs> so they ended up, they ended up, you know, bartering back and forth. And this guy bought the hat off the guy. And when we got to the, the event the next day, he handed me the hat and he said, you are not to take this hat off. If I see you without this hat through the course of the weekend, there'll be punishment. And during our first session, you know, he was presenting and I was, whatever, his internal standing next to him. He said, he introduced me and he said, if you see this guy 
throughout the course of the weekend. Without this hat, you let me know. <laughs> and how old are I you at this to, point? I, I mean, it was uh, 23. <laughs> so you're, yeah, you're, I can only imagine the shock and awe that you're in at this particular moment. Yeah. So I walked around that whole weekend in the damn hat thinking I was like feeling like an ass looking like an idiot. And, uh, but you know, this was kind of the genius of this guy, right? I mean, everyone commented on it. Everyone, everyone knew me at the end. And, you know, when I was whatever doing any follow-up or calls after that, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm the guy in the, uh, in the blue hat. Yep. That's me. Calling card. And you know, it's, yeah, it was, you know, something that, made made him and I stand out over the course of that of that weekend but I felt like such an ass dude <laughs> like <laughs> light blue Carolina Kangol floppy hat for and you're obviously I like, imagine you're wearing you're probably you're dressed in work clothes right you're wearing a suit and tie outside of that wearing a suit and hide a suit and tie during all the presentations so you know so casual during the casual events but yeah suit and tie that's that's remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they do those events anymore, but I can, you know, they were they were they were a trip, man. And they, that was my first. Yeah, they have to have a couple, maybe not maybe not Ed Jones, but they still have. I'm sure they still have some degrees of those, or or if not, it's yeah. maybe just more like a larger company wide thing. We'll 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 get someone out here who knows a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah, there's so many stories like that that I'm just sure are floating around there. Well, what we'll have to do is we'll have to get you back on for another episode, talk more about the, the ins and outs of the industry and, and get some more of those stories. But for <laughs> for the sake of tonight, I know we're coming up on the hour. I don't wanna I don't want you to have to miss uh miss picking up your kids from school or anything, but that was so much fun. I couldn't thank you enough for for being a part of this. And everyone is gonna certainly love to hear those insights, everything we discussed. So Thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for jumping on here. Hey man, it's my pleasure. It's, uh, I love seeing you do it, you know, taking this medium and, and, uh, grabbing some, some folks to tell their stories and share their insights. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times over the course of my career, I've talked to people saying, they've just said, I should write a book. You know, I should, I should, I should do this. Like and a book. Yeah. And book now, came to mind. <laughs> I'm sure it did, but this, this format is just so much more conducive to, you know, hopping on and telling stories, maybe at the end, of, maybe the, at the end of this, after you've done, you know, hundreds of these and you can go back to the archives right. and you get your collection of best stories, collection of best insights, you know, you can have the stuff you can take for your benefit for, you know, doing your job and the t- stuff you can take for the benefit of, of telling fun stories. Absolutely. But Matt, yeah, my pleasure, bud. Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram at internal use only podcast or email us at internaluseonlypodcast at gmail.com.